We are jumping into Romans, and I am excited to, to be jumping into this series for you, uh, with you. You know, this is the first full series that uh, we have done through the whole year. So since we've begun, we usually kind of break it up, maybe into 10 weeks with our life groups and things like that. But we decided to, as far as Romans goes, we're going to take the whole year, because you can't do it in 10 weeks. We wouldn't do it justice. Uh, some preachers do it in four years. We're like, that eh, might be a little long. So we're going to try to kind of see if we can get it done in a year and go through it. It's still kind of a rapid pace for the book of Romans. But I think as we go through it, contextually, we can get to um, a point where we really understand what Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And we also need to be reminded that when he wrote this, he wrote it so it would just simply really be read to people. So it wasn't even written so that you would take and dissect it, but here we are 2,000 years removed for us to really understand and get into that culture and that mindset. Sometimes we have to slow down, dissect a little bit so we can really understand what's going on. One of the things that uh, we're doing a little bit different and uh, kind of a little nervous to start it, but we're going to see how it goes, at least for the month of January, is we're going to do a question and answer period. So I'm going to put this up there. You can take a picture if you want, or you can write down that number if you want. But through the message, if there is a question that you have, you can go ahead and text it to that number. Now, we were going to start it off. We had it all planned out. Luke was going to be here, and he was going to be going through, and he was going to say, oh, these are some good questions, and I'll go ahead and uh, pass them on to Pastor Ryan. Well, he's not here. So I get all those texts myself this morning, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to take a couple minutes during our response time today. We'll kind of try it this, time, this way today. But I'll take that response time and go through a few of the questions and then maybe be able to come up and answer some of those questions. So looking forward to that. I think it has, has good potential, but like I say, if it falls flat in the month of January, we will move on like it never happened, and we just won't revisit that subject. But uh, we'll see how it goes. So text your, your question to 208-205-9771 as we're going along. Maybe there's just something you're like, I didn't really quite grasp that or understand that. Can you revisit it? Or... Um, I don't know, maybe it could just be how would this apply or why was this written here? There could be a number of different questions that maybe just pop in your mind. So feel free to text those. If we don't get to your question, uh, what we hope to do is be able to answer that through the week, maybe through a video or something where we can just sit down and kind of walk through those, those questions that we weren't able to get to. So uh, I will uh, and want to reserve the right to misunderstand your question. Um, so it may be that I go to answer a question, you're like, that's not what I asked at all. So if that happens, I apologize, and you can clarify that later if you'd like. So we are two weeks into January, right? How many of you made some sort of New Year's resolution? A few of you? Okay, yeah, yeah. okay how many of you are like, I don't do New Year's resolution, but I at least want to change a little bit and set a goal and grow? Okay, yeah, that's a New Year's resolution. So um, you can go ahead and tell yourself that, but well, that's the idea, right? That's the New Year's resolution. So, so you probably have two weeks into it. Anybody decide they're going to run in 2020? A few of you? Okay. Yeah, I look up to you guys. I obviously am not a runner. Um, I, I, I tell my wife, God did not design me to be a runner, all right? So um, I don't think she buys that, but... Yeah, those of you who run, good job. I appreciate that. You guys go out there, run, it, run a lap for me, okay? That's, that's awesome. 
but there is probably, as to some point, you have made some sort of goal, something that you say, hey, in 2020, I want to do this. Anybody set this goal that you just want to remain the same? Anybody? Chaos <laughs> fear, like, uh, maybe. Uh, now, maybe if there was really something really successful in 2019, you set that goal. Like, yeah, that's the best financial year I've ever had. I wanted that to be the same. Or uh, I lost 25 pounds in 2019. I want that to be the same, you know, lose another one. Um, but most likely, we look to another year and January 1st as a time for us to grow and change a little bit. And I do think that that's something all of us, uh, when we think about our faith, we probably even make some kind of goal with our faith. How am I going to be changed? How am I going to grow in 2020? How am I going to move from where I am today to by the end of December 2020, I will feel like or I've seen some sort of change in my life, right? I think to some extent we do that. And if we don't, well, we really ought to. Because you know, and I know, God doesn't want us to stay just right where we are. And so what's great about the book of Romans is he is going to challenge us. Paul's going to challenge us in the book. God's going to challenge us throughout the book to grow and change, to transform. To go from the faith we have right now to a greater faith 12 months from now. And I hope you understand that as we move through that that's really the challenge. And so there might be times where there's questions that come up and you're like, I don't, I don't know how to answer that or I don't know why Paul's talking about this. I guarantee you he's going to challenge us in a way. And here's one of the greatest things. Even though this isn't in Romans, it's still in God's word. And this is what he has to say. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now we read that, Second Peter, Peter was one of the apostles, Peter was the one that, that denied Jesus there when he was arrested, and then Jesus comes back and he says to him, Peter, do you love me three times? And Peter says, yes, and then he feels guilty because he, he denied him three times, and then Jesus says, it's okay, Peter, I'm going to use you to build my church. And so Peter's one of the people who, who wrote some of the New Testament, and we've been given this word from him where he says, God has given us, Christ has given us, with his divine power, everything required for life and godliness. Now, we read that. Do we believe it? Do we really believe it? And you know where I'm going with that, right? Because oftentimes we, we read Scripture, we read God's Word, and we say, that's so great, this is wonderful, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take a picture of it, or I'm going to share it on my Facebook page, and I'm going to say, I needed this today, right? And then tomorrow comes, or an hour goes by, and we forget that God has given us everything we need, and we tend to go back to our own strength. And so as we go through this year, I think we're going to be challenged in a lot of ways to turn to God and say, I need your strength. I need your help. And Romans, I think, is a great book to challenge us to do that. So here we're talking about faith to faith and how we're going to be moving today from really a faith or being challenged to go from the faith that we have right now to the faith that Christ wants us to have. And we'll see that more as we move forward. 
the big idea, the book of Romans will challenge your faith at every level. You might have questions like this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do good things happen to bad people? If God is love, why is there so much evil in the world? Does God hear my prayers? Am I really saved? Why do I feel sad or miserable when I'm supposed to have this hope and joy? Why do I do the things I don't want to do, and why do I do the things, or why don't I do the things I want to do? Those are all questions, and many more, that Romans will answer. It's like I say, your faith will be challenged in a lot of different ways. Now, we may not like the answers. Sometimes we have a hard time accepting the answers, but it still answers those questions. So somewhere along the way, you may be like, I would really like to know the answer to some of those questions. So if you miss a Sunday along the way, um, you know, I can almost guarantee you'll probably miss the, the Sunday you want the answer for. That's just the way it works, right? Like, oh, I'm sick this morning, or we're out of town this weekend. That's the one. So definitely wanted to let you know. Obviously, you can go online, and, and we record these. Uh, we actually stream them live now. In fact, my guess is probably Pastor Luke is joining us at home um, and, uh, and watching us live at the moment. But you can do that as well uh, down the road. Now, we prefer you be here. So don't all of you sit at home next week streaming, Okay. It's much better to have relationships and get together and check in with each other and all those types of things, right? And you don't, you can't get a Suzette hug through the, the video, right? So you have to, you have to come. Um, so those things are important. We've got to come together for sure. But if you do miss, then certainly you can, you can follow up with those things that are online. All right, well, let's move into our passage this morning, and we're going to talk about just the first section, verses 1 through 7, from the teacher to the student. Every time you enter into a book, uh, a letter that was written to a church in, in a you know, far distant land from wherever Paul was at at the time, he goes ahead and he has this introduction. And so it's almost universal all the way through. Paul talks about who he is, why he wrote it, and who he's writing it to. And certainly we have that in the book of Romans. And there's a little snip. Maybe you have uh, or you've heard somewhere along the way the Bible Project. I'm just going to take like a two-minute section of their video on Romans and give you the introduction because I think they do a really good job and they're concise with how they present it. So uh, let's go ahead and see if we can get that moving forward here. Paul's letter to the Romans. It's one of the longest and most significant things ever written by the man who was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish rabbi belonging to a group known as the Pharisees, and he was passionate and devout to the Torah of Moses and the traditions of Israel. And he saw Jesus and his followers as a threat. But then he had a radical encounter with the risen Jesus, who commissioned him as an apostle, like an official representative, to the world of non-Jewish people called Gentiles in the Bible. And so he started going by his Roman name, Paul, and he traveled all around the ancient Roman Empire telling people about the risen King Jesus and forming his followers then into these new communities called churches. And Paul would occasionally write letters to these new Jesus communities to help them foster their faith or answer questions. And the book of Romans is one of these. It was actually written quite late in his career. Now, we know from the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for some time, that it was made up of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. 
But at one point, the Roman emperor Claudius had expelled all of the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later, all of those Jews, including Jesus-following Jews, were allowed to return. And when they did, they found a church that had become very non-Jewish in custom and practice. And so this created lots of tension. So that by Paul's day, the Roman church was divided. People disagreed about how to follow Jesus. They were debating about whether non-Jewish Christians should celebrate the Sabbath or eat kosher or be circumcised. And so Paul wrote this letter to accomplish a few things. He wanted this divided church to become unified. And for a practical purpose, he was hoping that the Roman church could become a staging ground for his mission to go even further west all the way to Spain. And so these circumstances are what motivated Paul to write out his fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news that he was announcing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So there you have it. I'll give you a little bit of an introduction into Romans and give you an idea of why it was, it was written and in, uh, in Paul's motivation uh, even to go further into Spain was described there. Now, a little bit of the background. Paul uh, did get to Roman, uh, get to Rome. He was actually led there, escorted there because he was uh, imprisoned. He appealed to Caesar and so he went to stand trial before Caesar. Now, some have suggested that Paul did get to Spain, and there's others that believe that uh, he died there in Rome. And so there's some, some differences of opinion. I think that the most traditional view is that he died in Rome, um, but, uh, but others would say that he made it on to Spain. So uh, either case, one of the things I think that's really important is Paul is writing to people in a church that he did not plant. A lot of the other churches he started, but Rome is one of those churches that he did not start himself. And there are some that think that maybe the, when the church began in Acts chapter 2, there were some Jews there that became followers of Christ that were from Rome at the time. And then they went back to Rome and began a church. And that's very likely, very possible. It could be that some of the other churches had sent out missionaries as well and went and planted some churches in Rome. But by the time that Paul writes this, uh, it's most of the Jews had, had been exiled or asked to leave out of, of Rome. And so it's mainly a Gentile church with some of the Jews actually coming back into it, Jewish Christians. And as the Jewish Christians were, were growing up and in their faith and understanding it, they had an idea of what it looked like to be a follower of Christ. And then the Gentiles, who had a completely different background, had an idea of what it looked like to follow Christ. So a lot of Paul's writings was just trying to help the Gentile Christians and the Jew, uh, Jew, Jewish Christians figure out how to get along. Uh, but Romans is one of the books that really gives us probably the most doctrine and background in our faith and our understanding of what justification is, what it means to be sanctified or to live more like Christ, and then glorification, which is the end result where we go to heaven and we are made like Christ at that moment. So, so it really gives us a lot of information, and I think it'll be a, a great book, very rich in theology and understanding of who Christ is. Well, this is how it starts. Romans 1, 1 through 7, it says, Paul Okay, so we know that Paul wrote it, a servant of Christ Jesus, called in his apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So Paul starts off and confirms something that others, other writers have said as well, and that's 
Peter mainly confirms this, that prophets from old prophesied about Christ's coming and even prophesied about the gospel going to the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. So it's something that's been told. It's something that's been coming, and now we have seen it. You and I, now together, 2,000 years later, are on the really positive side of Scripture if we go back 2,500 years ago, if you go back 3,000 years ago, in order for us to know God and follow God, you would go to the temple rituals. You would have to do those sacrifices and do all those things that are written in the Old Testament and abide by that law. But today, Christ did all that and fulfilled it for us. And we know that, we see that, and it's written in Scripture, and it's explained in Scripture, and the prophets even talked about it. And that's the era that we live in today. So concerning his son Jesus, Christ our Lord, Paul's still talking about this, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh. Now, this is really important. One, it's a descendant of David. The Old Testament prophets talk about that. Anybody who's going to come as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, has to be a descendant of King David. And you can go back to, uh, you can go back to Matthew and you can look at his genealogy and you can see, yes, he was a descendant of David. Luke also records his genealogy and tells us, yes, he is a son of David, according to his flesh. But there was something more. He was appointed to be the powerful son of God, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. So we know, too, that not only is he uh, the son of David in the flesh, but he's the son of God. So he is both fully man, he is both fully God, and that's really important because when you're going to go around telling people you are forgiven of your sins, you need something to back that up. And because he's God, he's able to do that. And so we know with confidence that when he says, yes, you are forgiven, we are because he is the one true God. He comes with the spirit of holiness. So now we've actually mentioned God the Father. You've mentioned Jesus Christ the Son. And now you've mentioned the spirit of holiness, all three of the Trinity. That is, is you know, part of, of our understanding of who God is and what he's done and how he does things. So this spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And it's really important. You're going to see it all the way through Romans to understand that the resurrection is essential to understanding the gospel. We talk a lot about Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And we talk a lot about him dying on the cross to forgive us of our sins and pay that penalty. But if Jesus had never risen from the dead, he would not be able to give you new life. Your sins could be paid, but there'd be no resurrection for you and for me. And that's where you see the power being played out. That's where you see hope and life is in the resurrection. The fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Who can raise themselves from the dead? No one. But God, Christ was able to. And we're not talking like he just fell asleep and they put him in the tomb. They verified that he, he died. They pierced his side. Water, blood ran out. He, he was dead. He was placed into the tomb and he came back to life. Now, God can raise other people back to life. You certainly cannot. I certainly cannot. But Christ was able to come back to life. So you see the power that is there. Through him, then we, and he's talking, I think, probably about uh, this kind of leadership team or missionaries that were going around and presenting the gospel of Christ. He says, we have received grace and apostleship. And the reason why apostleship is so important when you start listing your credentials for a teacher, especially at the time when they were receiving this letter, is because they didn't have a New Testament. You and I have a New Testament that we turn to and we say, this is God's word. They didn't have a New Testament. And so the apostles were going around and they were presenting what they knew about Christ. And they had the authority of the apostles at that time. 
Well, today the authority of the apostles is wrapped up into the New Testament. And if you meet a person, and some people use this in a lot of different ways, like, oh, I'm an apostle. I've been called to be an apostle. You might ask them a few more questions. Well, what does that mean exactly? And if they tell you that, well, I've been called to be an apostle, and I have the authority equivalent to the New Testament, get away. That is not true. Okay? That has been basically, it's been given to us. God's word is truth, and we believe what God's word is saying. If somebody comes along and says, well, I have a gift that I can add to Scripture. I can change Scripture. No. (laughs) Don't. Don't go down that route. Okay? We listen to God's word, his truth. But at this time, Paul was an apostle, and he was called by Christ to go out and do a work and had the authority of apostles. So he, he declares that here. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among, first, all the Gentiles. And Paul was a missionary to all the Gentiles. Every town he went into, he would go to the synagogue first, and he would present it to the, the Jews there. And when he get kicked out of the synagogue, which he always did, he would go and he'd present it to the Gentiles. And he would share the faith with them. And he says, including you in Rome, who are also called by Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome. He says it specifically there. So he has a general audience, all, audi- uh, all Gentiles, and now a very specific audience in Rome. Loved by God, called as saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7 is a great verse to write down and remember, because not only is he talking about the church there in Rome, but I think he's talking to anybody who has placed their faith in Christ. You are loved by God. You are called to be holy, set apart, and a saint. I know the, the Roman Catholic Church has actual saints that they put up, and so you have to do so many different things to be a saint. But God's word calls anybody who places their faith in Christ a saint, one who is set apart, one who is holy, because you are set apart, because of Christ. Not because we've done something amazing, but because Christ has done something amazing for us. And it says, grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So that's his introduction to people, and he encourages them there in verse 7. He lets them know you are loved, you are called and have a purpose, you have peace from God, and you are in this relationship with Almighty God, Father, Creator, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, then he moves into verses 8 through 17. The gospel is both integrative and transformative. Okay? So it's, it's bringing people together. Now, if you remember back earlier when I was talking about how Paul had never been to Rome, but he knew the people there, and he said, I want to, to come and talk to you and share with you more about the gospel of Jesus Christ because there's some things I have to share with you, and there's some things you have to share with me. And that's the cool thing about being followers of Christ is you've got people who, who are all around the world who still worship the same God you and I worship. And maybe some of you have been to other countries. Uh, we, we had the chance to go down to Mexico and worship on a Sunday morning there. You know, they're, they're a lot... Their worship's a lot different. And you can praise God for that. One, it's in a different language. So that makes it, obviously, a little different. Uh, they're quite a bit louder. You know, they're usually in a, in a smaller room, and they have, like, a full drum set. And we usually, you know, if you see a full drum set in, in the U.S., they always have, like, a cage around it. They don't do that there. They just let it go. And the guy's just banging on things, and it's loud. And, 
and the person playing guitar is loud, and everybody's loud, and, and they're all worshiping God with joyful sound. And it's the same Jesus, it's the same God that you and I are worshiping. And in other places across the, the world, people are doing the same thing. And right here in our own valley, people are worshiping God, different places. Uh, some do it louder than we do it. Some do it softer. Some do it with a bigger band. Some do it with a smaller band. Some do it with no band at all. And just a cappella. They sing songs. And some of their services are the same length. Some are longer. Some are shorter. Some, you know, there are all kinds of varieties out there. But it's the same God we're worshiping. And God can bring us all together. And so Paul, who had never been to Rome, at least not to the Rome church, or Roman church, he knew that the people there loved Christ, and he wanted to go and worship and serve with them. But it's also transformative in that it's changing us. So let's take a look at this some more. Romans 1, 8 through 17. First, Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you. Always asking in my prayers that if somehow in God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you for I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So even though Paul had not been there, he's heard about their faith, and he, he, he calls that out. He says, I, I understand your faith is growing, and people are talking about it. And there are, when I go to Corinth, people are saying, hey, have you heard about the Christians in Rome? They're doing some amazing things. When he goes to Ephesus, hey, have you heard about the Christians in Rome? And he goes to Jerusalem, hey, have you heard about the Christians in Rome? He's like, yeah, I have, and I want to go see them. I want to talk to them. I want to share with them what I know about Christ, and I want them to share with, with me what Christ is doing, and he's excited, and he's telling them, your faith is being talked about throughout the world. And he's excited. He's excited to go, go and see what's happening there so they can be mutually encouraged. I, I don't know where you are in your faith. I think at times we, we feel isolated. We don't share at times. It's kind of the American way, right? We're individuals. I have my faith, and I'm figuring it out on my own, and I'm reading my books on my own, and and I'm going to master it. And then when I figure it out, then I'm going to tell other people how they should live their faith. The downside to that is we don't become mutually encouraged, when people share what they're going through and they share their hard times and they share their successes, we become mutually encouraged. Because somebody begins to share some difficulty that they're going through, then they find out somebody else in the church is like, oh, I've gone through that too. And then they start talking and then they start praying and then they start texting each other through the week. Hey, how you doing? I've been praying for you. Yeah, it's been a hard week. Hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Great. And we talk for an hour. And, and then there's encouragement there. But if we all just kind of stay in our own little world, I think we come on a Sunday morning, we sing our songs, we go home, we say, oh, that was a nice service, I'll come back next Sunday, and that's the extent of our faith. Paul was not in any way satisfied with that. 
He hears about what's going on in Rome. He's like, I am going to do what I can to get there. And I want to see the believers there. And I want to share with them what God's doing in my life. And I want them to share what God's doing in their life. And we're going to grow together. And we're going to love each other. And we're going to mutually encourage each other. We need that. God created us to be like that. Don't you agree? How many people feel lonely in life? You don't have to raise your hand, but just ask that. I'll ask you that question. Do you feel lonely? Do you feel lonely in your spiritual journey? Do you feel like no one around you understands? Well, then the next question is, well, what are you doing to share your spiritual journey with other people? Have you guarded yourself so much that you're not willing to share? That's the beauty of life groups. That's what life groups really is about, that we can't come together. And I've been to life groups. You know, you have too, where you go there and it's just like, yeah, let's talk about the weather. It snowed this week. Cool. Did you guys get your... Snow tires on. Yeah, I got my snow tires on. Okay, how was work? Yeah, we did work fine. And then we go home, and we don't really talk about what's going on inside. And what God's challenging us with. But we can. I think we can work on that as a church. And leaders, we need to work on that as life group leaders to help people dig in a little bit more into our lives and what God is doing. That's how we become mutually encouraged. Well, verse 13, he says, Now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often plan to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I may have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. And Paul talks about that. Look at all the other things that God has used me to do. I want to do that the same thing in Rome. He says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and barbarians. That's not very nice in our culture today, but that was the actual group of people. Both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Basically, there's not one person or the other that I'm like, well, I'm not going to talk to you, but I'll talk to you. He says, no, I'm obligated to preach the gospel to all people. I'm not going to classify people and say, yep, you don't receive the gospel, but you do. No. I will preach the gospel to all who are in Rome. And then you come to a verse that a lot of people have either memorized or have written down, have written on their mirror or somewhere in their life. And that's this verse, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. I am not Ashamed, I will not shrink back from this gospel. That's what he's saying there. And then he goes to this word power, which uh, is, if you look at the Greek word, uh, we get the word dynamite from it. And I really like to think of it that way, when you think of power in, in the Bible, because I go back to, at least in my head, especially in this context, to the time 200 years ago, 100 years ago, even places where they would drill in or chisel into rock, a huge rock that they couldn't move. Okay, even in the strongman competition, bigger than that, right? So you, you, would, you would drill into that and you would put your dynamite into it, maybe several different places, and then they would blow that rock up into smaller pieces that they can move. And I like to think of it here in this context because the gospel is the same way. There's something impossible, something immovable between you and God. But the power 
of the gospel and the power of God can come in and break that up and join us back together with God. And that power is Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. He blows that rock to smithereens, small pieces all over the place, and now you and I can be reunited to God our Father the way it's supposed to be. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that can heal people, heal broken people, reunite us back to God. We should never be ashamed of that. And it's the gospel. It's not you and it's not me and it's not our great way of presenting the gospel. It is the gospel that actually transforms people. It's the gospel that actually gives people hope. First, people have to understand that they are lost, that they do not have a relationship with God the Father, that they are far from God. God is holy, we are not. And there's this eternal separation. And the only one who can take that separation away is Christ. The only one who could take that immovable rock and blow it up, if you want to look at it that way, is Christ. And for all those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that rock has been removed and that relationship with God our Father has been reconciled. We should not be ashamed of that. Now that verse by itself can be pulled out of context and it can be a great verse and I don't think you can really go wrong with it even pulling it out of context but leave it in its context and I think what Paul is actually saying to Rome is just like you are not ashamed of the gospel I want you to know that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We have something in common. We love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no matter what church you go to if they are, they are um, familiar with the gospel if they love the gospel and they love Christ then we have that in common, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, and that's exactly what happened. The Jerusalem church there started with Jewish people and then also to the Greek as it went further out. Those who were Greeks, those who were Gentiles, those who were not Jews also became followers of Jesus Christ. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now, you can look up this whole subject of righteousness of God, and I think here you have a lot of different explanations that I've read, but I don't think you could boil it down to just one. Because in the gospel, when the righteousness of God is revealed, it's talking about God's character and how he is such a gracious, loving, righteous God that he had a plan. And then you see the righteousness of God being carried out through Jesus Christ, and that he comes and he was righteous on our behalf. And then you see the righteousness of God applied to every single believer. Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ now have been declared righteous before God the Father. There's a whole lot of righteousness of God floating around in salvation. Right? And that's what he's talking about here, and that's what's being played out. It is the righteousness of God, and it's revealed. When you hop down into verse 18, which we'll get into next week, it says the wrath of God is revealed. We don't want anything to do with that. But that's just the reality. The wrath of God is being revealed. But here he tells us in verse 17 that the righteousness of God is revealed. And then he has this interesting phrase, from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Not by works, which we're going to explore a lot more as we go through the book of Romans. But it's by faith. So I want to hit on this subject just real quickly, from faith to faith. God wants your faith to to grow, not stay the same. If you go back into the Greek words here, 
And from us, from our point of view, faith to faith looks like the same word. But if you go back to the Greek word, there's actually a little bit of a difference. There's an ending difference on the Greek words. And it changes a little bit to say the faith, the first faith you read about is the faith you currently possess. The faith you have to another faith. And I think the idea, this is my own translation, a lot wordier, a lot more words, if you can say wordier, I don't think that's right. But this would be my translation, from the faith you have now to the faith Christ is building in you, I think grabs kind of the concept. From the faith you have to what Christ wants you to have. If you go to the NIV translation, this is the way they did it. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. In other words, we are growing in our understanding of who God is. We're growing more and more in our faith to a greater understanding of who he is. From faith to faith. And so that's why I wanted to start and present and challenge you to say, the book of Romans is going to challenge you I guarantee it, if you come on Sundays and if you're digging in and if you're reading into Romans, it's going to challenge your faith to grow from where it is today on, what is this, January 12th, all the way through 2020, you should expect your faith to grow. Now, oftentimes, this is the bad news, oftentimes growth hurts a little bit. It's always great when, you know, everything goes well, but sometimes it hurts a little bit. Sometimes it stretches us, and that's okay, because that's where God needs to take us. So here's, as we kind of wrap up a little bit, and I know I've gone kind of a little bit long, but I still want to see, I don't know if anybody has even texted a question yet, so I may not even have any questions to answer, but that's okay. Um, If... As we, as we kind of come to a close, you're, you're thinking about this, this transformation that's going to take place. I just want to challenge you in a couple areas. One, asking this question, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? Okay, if you haven't, that's the first step. People have to, to understand that without Jesus Christ, they don't have a relationship with God the Father. There's a lot of talk about how, oh, we're all, we're all worthy of God's love. I want you to understand, on one hand, God created us and we are made in the image of God. And so there is value in how God created us. But Christ is the one who makes us worthy to enter into God's presence to worship him. And so we are worthy through Christ to be able to worship God the Father and have a relationship. We have to place our faith in Jesus Christ in order to have a relationship with God the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's the first step. Secondly, you have, uh, well, don't have to, but this is one I think is really encouraging, to read your Bible regularly. Say, I want to grow in my faith. Okay, you've placed your faith in Christ. Uh, You can add in there, also be baptized, make that public declaration, but read the Bible. Understand what God's Word has to say. You might approach and say, it's really hard. I've tried it before, and I started in Genesis. There's some great stories, and then I got into this book called Leviticus, and I just gave up. Right? Okay, there's some other great reading plans out there. We might start you off in a little, you know, a little easier ones. Um, but but there's, there's some great ways to enter into God's Word and begin to understand it. And then that oftentimes causes questions. And that's what the body of Christ is about. Have questions. 
Ask one another. Establish a prayer routine. Okay? Pray regularly. Have a prayer list if you need to. Have somebody to pray with if you need to. Establish a prayer routine. Connect with a discipleship partner or group, whether it's small groups to connect with or whether it's more formalized like our, our life groups. And sometimes from life groups, then small groups also start. And there's just a lot of different ways that you can have groups. But have another person that you can grow in your faith with. And then share the gospel. These are just a few things. But if you're sharing the gospel, you're going to be challenged in a lot of different ways. People are going to ask you questions. And there are times you're going to say, I don't really have an answer to that. That's okay. You can commit to do these things, or maybe you're going to commit to doing two and three, and then in a few months, oh, hey, I'll grow to four and five. And... But the point is, grow. Grow in your faith. Don't be content with who you are today in Christ. Grow in your faith and understanding of who He is. I'll give you a couple minutes here to think about that. If you want, you can still text a question, and I'll come back. If I don't have any questions, then we'll just go right into to worship. Father, thank you for what you've done. We love you. We thank you for your word and your truth. Challenge us with these thoughts. We ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.